Mexico, the biggest of nights in Cincinnati. wrote it in a mirror. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> McKenny. And again, McKenny! Dos a cero! Dos a cero! Dos a cero! Dos a cero! Football! America's underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar. Herc, we are now 72 hours removed from the U.S. and Mexico in Cincinnati. Have you recovered? And do you want to tell the folks at home the exact amount of hours that we slept on Friday night? Friday night, the, both nights, I might have slept a combined total of five hours. I'm trying to recover. Cincinnati was something else. We had our doubts if Cincinnati was the place for this game. I think those doubts were put to bed. Well, for Friday night, at least, it was zero hours. The entire Football Americas crew got zero hours of sleep as we all had 6 a.m. flights on Saturday to catch out of Cincinnati. Herc, it was really cool to be in Cincinnati to come across fans and, and people who are watching the show. Yeah. Good chance to remind people about the podcast as well. Of course, there's lots of extended bonus material on the podcast. It's free. You can find it in the ESPN FC feed wherever you download your podcast. Plenty coming on today's show. Of course, we got some bad blood, Herc, brewing between a couple of major league soccer stars. So we'll save that for later in the show. We got the NWSL. The championship is set. We got Washington against Chicago. So both top seeds going down. Some upsets in the NWSL postseason. And then we've got a great one-on-one interview with Jill Ellis, of course, the two-time World Cup winner as the manager of the U.S. Women's National Team. She is now the president of San Diego's Wave Football Club. They just named the team last week, so we'll sit down with her. But, Herc... We got to start with World Cup qualifiers and the victors from Friday night. The U.S. men's national team trying to turn that dos acero momentum into another three points. This time away against Jamaica on Tuesday. And now Jamaica hasn't lost Herc in the last three qualifiers. They're currently sixth uh, in the table. So it should be a tough one down in Kingston. We got some big lineup and roster news Monday. We know Weston McKinney, Miles Robinson, they're suspended. So they're headed back to their clubs. In comes James Sands to the team. As far as the lineup is concerned, we now know Zach Steffen will be in as a starter. He's going to stay. We know Joe Scally's going to stay on the bench. And we know Christian Pulisic is still TBD to start. All that and this from Greg Berhalter's Monday Presser. It was a difficult decision. It wasn't something that, um, you know, was easy based on how we thought Matt was playing. You know, he played really well in the goal cup, only let up one goal. Um, and qualifying, but up two goals in, in his five games. And it was more we were looking at the games and, and how they're unfolding, and we're saying there's there's a number of possessions that we can be keeping in these games that we're not. And um, and we think Zach is stronger with his feet. 
Um, and, you know, we made that decision based on that. We could have started him against Mexico. We didn't want to start him against Mexico because we know that we knew that he couldn't go the full 90. So it's going to be a similar type of question that we have to ask for this game. Um, you know, if we do start him, how much time can he play? Um, and then, you know, what does that look like for the game and the, getting the result of the games? So for us, it's, it's still um, up in the air. What I'd say is that he's, he's come along really well after the game. Uh, he trained yesterday. He'll be full in training today. So we'll see. I, I talked all the time about how inexperienced we are, how young we are, and we need to gain that experience. And, and what I've seen is just the understanding increasing of what this is about, what these games entail, the, the, the level of competition. And I think we dealt with it a good, in a, in a, in a decent way. You know, I, I think we're, you know, we're going like that and we're understanding what these games are like and, and tomorrow's going to be an important game for us. All right, Herc. So a lot to break down from Greg Berhalter's press conference, but I think the point that he makes about experience is maybe an interesting place to start. We're really starting to flip the script on the narrative that you need experience to win in CONCACAF. This U.S. team and this U.S. coach is US proving coach. otherwise. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you said U.S. coach because I've said this many times. We talk about the inexperience of this, this very, very young U.S. men's national team pool, U.S. men's national team. Probably the most inexperienced here is Greg Berhalter. I mean, all these kids are in some of the greatest leagues in the world, some of the best teams in the world. And here Greg Berhalter is, and he got his opportunity, well, coming from the Columbus crew which is fine, but very inexperienced at the national or international level, excuse me, if you will. So it's good that we touch upon that. And, and he's right. It's about time these players got that experience. And that narrative of you need CONCACAF experience to actually win or be good in CONCACAF should no longer be a narrative. These kids, these players, I shouldn't even call them kids, these players are playing in some of the best footballing platforms in the world. So usually, Herc, or at least the last two World Cup qualifying windows, we've had three games. So there's been a real need for rotation. Obviously, with only two games this time around, I think that that need declines quite a bit. Nevertheless, at least with Weston McKinney and Miles Robinson set to miss out this game against Jamaica, we know there's two big decisions looming for Greg Berhalter. So same as we did against Mexico, we've asked you to come up with your ideal 11 for the game against Jamaica, given everybody that is available so let's take a look at your 11, but let's start, I think, with the first big question, which is who are you going to replace Miles Robinson with? Chris Richards. Thank you, Sebi Salazar, for mentioning that it's a two-game window. You don't have three, so no need for that rotation. So if you have those two, there's an ideal scenario for keeping a core group together. Listen, you're going to have to at some point have a default 11. Know who you are. And I go with Chris Richards. You need to get him that experience right now. Get his feet wet. He's a player who could do it for you at the Bundesliga level. He's a player for Hoffenheim who was actually uh, at one point under the umbrella of Bayern Munich. He's good enough for that. He should be good enough for CONCACAF. This is a great time for him to get his feet wet. He's already had that Costa Rica game. Now an away qualifier in a very, very difficult environment against a team that physically he should be up for. But we're going to get to see a different layer, a different side of Chris Richards with this U.S. men's national team. Because he's a good, very good passing back. I think he could uh, surprise a lot of people in his play. And maybe, maybe one of those people, Greg Berhalter. And listen, the other one, we talk about getting Chris Richards experience. you got to get Joe Scally experience. He should have been hmm. in your last window. If you say he couldn't play versus Mexico because he doesn't have that experience and you want to get him experience, this is the game. I don't know about you, Seb, but I had that Mexico game as a game that I thought the U.S. men's national 
Boston was going to drop points in. So the must-win game for me, looking ahead to this window, was actually Jamaica. So now that you have those points secured, don't let it go to waste. Don't let it go to waste. Get points this window, but also get a player like Joe Scally into the system, acclimated and ready to go, because at some point in the near future, you're going to need him. Yeah, it's almost like you earned the right to play the younger guys now, to take the risks that we've seen Greg Berhalter do uh, in previous big games. I wonder if Joe Scally being on the bench kind of flies, you know, in contrary to what we've seen from Greg Berhalter in these moments. What's the other choice as far as replacing Miles Robinson? Does it though, Seb? I mean, if, yes. you look at, if you look at Ricardo Pepe, zero World Cup qualifying minutes, zero international games, all of a sudden gets in what was a must-win game in Honduras, uh, gets that mighty start, and look what he did. He was involved in all four goals. Yeah, so, why, so then why, how is that? That's the total opposite of what's happening with Scally, right? No, but, but, you're, yeah, but you're saying that it shouldn't be. Like, he's proven that he does that. He takes these risks. Yeah. No, he definitely does. Who's the other option, though? Mark McKenzie? I mean, it's between yeah. McKenzie and effectively Chris Richards there. Both those guys are inexperienced. So is Miles Robinson. I wonder if there's a shout here for somebody like a Matt Miazga, you know, somebody who's got... Just that little bit more experience, obviously not called in, but a player who's who's playing consistently in a top five league. You know, the, don't you need a little bit more experience there in the center of defense? You would think so. And the biggest thing for me here is Greg Berhalter and the message he sends. You can't be inconsistent with your message. If you say form matters, you can't give this to Mark McKenzie. Mark McKenzie has not been a national team form, and he barely plays at the club level. Chris Richard, he plays. Does he have that national team form? No, because you've not given him the opportunity. Matt Miazga can't get a sniff. I don't know why. Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, same thing. There are certain shouts to be made for certain players, but Greg Berhalter needs to be consistent. All the player asks is for transparency. Tell him what he needs to do, and they'll go from there. Right, so not a lot of options then to replace Miles Robinson, or not as many options as there are to replace Weston McKinney. you got a lot more choices in midfield if you're Greg Berhalter. Uh, who'd you end up going with? Gianluca Buzio. I went with Gianluca Buzio. Uh, you look at Buzio and what he's been able to do with Venezia, and the brief stint he played against Costa Rica, I thought he was uh, tremendous in the limited time we got him to see him, but he's really expanded his game. I thought he struggled in the Gold Cup. I thought he was one of the big players we had hopes for, big hopes for, and he struggled. Well, he's putting some of those doubts to rest. He's getting to be a better player on and off the ball, both sides of the ball in Venezia. And I think he's a player that gives you a little versatility. Yeah, he's not that ball winner because part of me thinks he's going to go with Kellen Acosta against Jamaica. Mm. He likes mm. that physicality. He likes the athleticism uh, and the defensive effort that Kellen Acosta gives you. But if you really want to add an, another element of buildup, of play, creativity, even set pieces, I think Gianluca Buzio is your man and I would go with Buzio. Okay, so you mentioned Buzio, you mentioned Kellen Acosta, you haven't mentioned two names which we know are options for Greg Berhalter, but also we know will upset some U.S. men's national team fans. Sebastian Leggett, Christian Roldan. What are the odds that you think we see either of those two guys, either as a starter or as a sub in Jamaica? Pretty high. Yeah, I think Roldan as a sub, absolutely, you're, you're going to see him. Greg Berhalter enjoys what he gets out of a busy Roldan. And Roldan, to his credit, uh, he creates things. He may not get on the score sheet with a goal or an assist, but he's always one of those guys that presses at the right moment, creates things for his teammates. He's a very good teammate, which is very hard to find at any level. He's one of those guys that Greg Berhalter knows what he gets from. And Sebastian Legette, he just seems to be one of the confidants of Greg Berhalter. And I know he's had his up and downs, but... Sebastian Legette at his peak, at his best with the U.S. Men's National Team, is a very capable player. I just don't think he's in a very good moment right now.
Short answer here. We know we're going to see at least two changes because they're forced. Um, we know he's not going to start Scali, so you're not going to get that change, which right. is one that you want to see. You did just beat Mexico 2 nothing. Like, don't you have to reward the other nine guys by keeping them in the lineup, especially without the need for rotations? I would almost assume that you can't really make changes here. I Greg wouldn't Berhalter, make changes, right? Seb. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit it out of the park when you said this is a two-game window. You don't treat it like yeah. a three-game window, and you think you have to make these changes. So why did you want to put Scali in for Yedlin? Because I want to get him that experience. I think, think this is when you get his feet wet. We talked about it in the pregame show and the post-show about how Joe Scali should have been brought in last window. Well, if you're already late to that and you think Sergio Dest might not be durable, you think there will be a chance for Joe Scali at the right-back or left-back position because he's played both uh, with Gladbach, you bring him in, you get him acclimated, and you get him going. This can no longer be an excuse about this experience in CONCACAF. When it comes to Christian Pulisic, the term judgment call was used, Herc. Your judgment, if you're the manager, do you start Christian Pulisic in Jamaica? Well, this changes with the Mexico win. You have the luxury of having that win. You don't mm -hmm. need to stress out and think Christian Pulisic has to be your go-to guy. And also, Greg Berhalter has already tipped his hand. He said that the field conditions may play a factor in who he plays. He says it's a bad field. It's not the greatest field, greatest conditions. So I'm That's thinking, true, right? If I've ever heard if I've heard any complaints about CONCACAF fields, it's there's too much grass on the field at San Pedro Sula, and there's not enough grass on the field in Kingston. Could be. So if you think the field is a factor, maybe that sore ankle on that field versus that opponent isn't quite the best scenario for Christian Pulisic. And you already have the luxury of beating Mexico yeah. at home. You got the three points that I thought were needed this window in that game. So maybe you can try managing it in the same way you managed the Mexico game and have him coming off the bench. Don't push him if that's the case. Uh, yep. If you, you don't think he can go 90 for you, and that's why he didn't play against Mexico, two more, three more days isn't going to change anything with Christian Pulisic. I see him coming off the bench. What about this idea that you put out last week that says you need to start for a guy that's not getting consistent run? Like you need that warm-up. You need all, that, all yeah. those things before the game. Yeah, I don't even know if he plays this game. Honestly. Really? There, yeah. There's a scenario. If they don't need him, if it's one nothing in the second half and you don't need an attacking sub, you think you think it's just, hey, save him for Chelsea? I think that's I think that's what yeah. Greg Berhalter and his mindset is at right now. And I don't I don't blame him. If yeah. he thinks he needs to protect this player because there's a chance he can re-injure himself or, or set himself back any further, I think Greg Berhalter doesn't do it. Yeah. It keeps Thomas Tuchel happy and it's another, you know, luxury earned Correct. from the three points picked up against Mexico. One other name that you did have in the starting lineup is Ricardo Pepe, but I got to ask you about Pepe because we're now going on three straight national team games where he hasn't scored. I wonder if Pepe's in your starting lineup tonight because you still think he's the man, you still think he's the forward for this team, or by default because there aren't any other true nines in this group. And if that's the case, do we need to question the manager's choice to leave out guys like Josh Sargent, Daryl DK, Jordan Peefock, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We definitely need to question that. And I'll go into detail about that. But Ricardo Pepe, more than anything, seven games without a goal. He was on a similar run in August uh, for FC Dallas where he went five games, no goals. He's only 18 years of age. As a striker, you're going to go into these moments where the ball's not going to go into the net. And you're in your own head. And you need to have one, for whatever reason, just bounce your way and you put it in the back of the net. And then it's like... Muscle memory. Here I go. I remember this. Oh, yeah, this feels good. And he needs to be that player that does not feel good about himself if he doesn't score. I want him to go to bed not being able to go to bed because he's so frustrated he didn't put the ball in the back of the net. The best strikers in the world are those players. That said, Taylor Twelman, 
on our post-game show, Football Americans in Cincinnati, mentioned something very interesting about Greg Berhalter, and he let out a little gem about Ricardo Pepe, Jesus Ferreira, and the future about the U.S. Men's National Team 9. You know what's amazing? Five FC Dallas Academy players played a part in the game tonight. And oh, here you go promoting FC Cannon. Dallas again. <laughs> it's unbelievable, though. Like, honestly, you think about it. Jesus Ferreira played meaningful minutes. He should have scored. Yeah. Right? Like, God it, bless it just, him for keeping the dose And Sarah, he's though. one that Burhalter surprised me calling him in, but more so told me he thinks he may be ultimately the nine when everyone comes together. Really? Yes. Why? What in his game? Because his interpretation of space, using his words. This sound, I'm sorry, this sounds like some pet Manchester City stuff. Absolutely it does. But he says the interpretation of space allows the players outside, if it's Pulisic, Reina, Wea, he understands when to come in, when to come out, mobility, all of that. I looked at him right in the face and said, okay, can you score you 12 goals? Can you score you 15 goals? Because we haven't seen that for FC Dallas yet. Because I still want my nine right. to be a goal threat. All right, Herc. So I think Jesus Ferreira was your surprise of the roster when the roster was dropped. Do you think we might, we might see him against Jamaica? Yeah, I'm sure we might see him against Jamaica. Uh, huge credit to Taylor Twelman. What a gem he let out there. That's a, a, a big uh, Yes, this is interesting. I like that you said this is some Pep Guardiola Manchester City mm. thing. Because this goes yeah. back to me thinking, are we trying to reinvent the wheel here? Are we trying to put Tyler Adams as a right back again? Are we trying to get too cute? You've got guys like Josh Sargent. You've got guys like Ricardo Pepe, Jordan Well, wait Pico. a second, Herc. Isn't that the point? Isn't Why does Manchester play Manchester City play with a false nine? Because they don't have a nine. Is, is maybe Greg well, Berhalter admitting he doesn't have a let nine? Let me finish. If he's going to go let with me Jesus You have Ricardo Pepe. You have... Jordan Pifak, you've got Josh Sargent and Daryl Deacon. If I'm these players, I am rolling at my eyes. I'm rolling my eyes hearing this thought. I'm rolling my eyes hearing this come out of Taylor Twelman's mouth. Really? Gregor Halter said this? Let's not get too cute here, okay? You've got very good wing players with the ability to combine and do damage outside with pace and ability. Very good central players who join into the attack, and you're going to get cute with an inter interpretation of space type of player. And I'm not saying J Jesus Ferreira isn't a good player. But I want a nine who's goal dangerous. I want a nominal nine who could be a focal point, a central point for those players. I don't want to get cute. I don't want to go back to reverting, hey, Tyler Adams as a right back because I think he could interpret, interpret the space here or he could join in as a defensive midfielder when the ball's on the opposite side. These players under the right circumstances, could all be very dangerous players for you. Saying Jesus Ferreira may ultimately be your nine, wow, that to me right now is crazy. Back to Pepe real quick for a second. How long do you stick with a guy who goes cold? Because you mentioned, you know, he hasn't scored in three straight for the national team. He hasn't five. scored in five straight oh, for you're club. Correct. Five Excuse straight me. for club. He hasn't scored since September for FC Dallas. Um, and, and what's coming up here? The MLS offseason. So when I look ahead to January and the three games in January, the one thing I can tell you for sure is that unless Ricardo Pepe gets transferred, steps into a team, starts starting, and then starts scoring, he's not going to come into that call-up hot. So do you think there's an open competition come January? Because it does. unless Pepe does something in this game, I don't see how there's not. Well, I've been thinking it's an open competition since Ricardo Pepe even started. You know, I don't think we've ever said this is Ricardo's Pepe's and that's it. It's his to lose. So when he goes cold and he doesn't do the things 
off the ball or with the ball. If you're not scoring goals, what are you doing? And thankfully, Ricardo Pepe, he's expanding on that side of his game. I don't think he's been playing bad. I think he's been a decent player. In fact, a few of the games he didn't score, uh, Costa Rica, Jamaica, I thought he was very good with the ball. I thought he was very good back to goal. I thought his link-up play was excellent. I thought him getting others involved and associated into the final third was very good at him. This last game, Mm. Probably not so much, and he was a bit wasteful, but that's going to come and go with age. I mean, he's 18 years of age. He's still learning the position. I'm not too worried, but you're absolutely right. Come that offseason, MLS offseason, if he's not running all cylinders, you got to go with the next. All right, so USA-Jamaica then Tuesday in Kingston. It is not the same Jamaica that the U.S. saw in Austin. should be a very, very difficult game. Let's go back to Friday night, though, and really the moment of the match hurt in this one. Christian Pulisic, he comes on in the 69th minute. Five minutes after that, of course, he scores the eventual game winner. Nodding in from about, what, a two, three yards out there against Mexico and Memo Ochoa. Now, it's really not the goal, right? It's the celebration. He runs over, lifts up the shirt. And it says, man in the mirror, a clear reference to the quotes from Memo Choa, who said that Mexico were the mirror in which the United States wanted to see themselves. Of course, Greg Berhalter, I think pretty intelligently, turned that into some bulletin board All material. Greg and clearly, Berhalter. You think these guys know what the song is from Michael Jackson? Come on. Clearly, the... Uh, the players bought into it as well, and so did pretty much all of social media hurt. Oh. How about this? Uh, in terms of, of kind of instant classic moments in this rivalry, in the, in the social age with all the memes, I think this jumps right to the top of the list. Listen, I know I said that Memo Ochoa gave the U.S. Men's National Team bullet board material in that locker room, but I'm actually glad he did it. I'm actually glad somebody's trying to make this interesting. Memo Ochoa may be the only <laughs> one on the Mexican. Oh, Maury Povich, if you're too young to know who this is, uh, we can't be friends. <laughs> Google it. Google it. Yes. But yeah, there you see uh, plenty of memes throughout the day. Uh, the Mexican press was pretty harsh in their headlines as well, Her Things like, papá e hijo, uh, greet the new giants of CONCACAF. So uh, you can see people on, on both sides of this rivalry taking this result to an extreme, which is to be expected, right? It's to be expected, and my U.S. men's national team friends, wait for it because come March, if the shoe's on the other foot, expect the same treatment. <laughs> Okay, so let's focus in on Christian Pulisic, right? Because this is not the first time that he's played kind of a central role in a big USA-Mexico match. Actually, uh, it happened, what, five months ago in the Nations League final when he sinks that penalty in extra time. So when we think of kind of the, the main characters in this rivalry, the chief protagonist, is Christian Pulisic now that for USA-Mexico? He may be the only one, Seb. I'm trying to go back and think, where have we seen protagonists in this rivalry? And you got to go Landon Donovan urinating on Estadio Jalisco grounds. You've got to go Rafa Marquez, you know, leaving his shoe in Kobe Jones' head. You know, the goal at, at, at Columbus for the 2-1, their first victory in 48 years. Those are the only two, right? Like, when we think of, like, the, the, the when I say protagonist, I mean... That both sides, that both sides like feel that way about, right? Yeah. One side loves you, but the other side hates you just as much. You're that, you're that guy, and and clearly Pulisic's in that rarefied air because those three are the only three that 
that really reached that level in terms of this rivalry. It's the only, they're the only ones who come to mind. And five months ago, we were talking about Christian Pulisic. If he want to, wants to make a name for himself, he has mm. to do it versus Mexico because that's what Lion and Donovan did. If you ask any Mexican fan, any Mexican pundit, who's the most hated American player of all time or the best American player of all time, they will all tell you Landon Donovan because of how he hurt them. Landon Donovan because of the protagonist role. Yes, negative and positive. We spoke about the Jalisco. He also did lottery commercials for the Mexican public. I mean, he was a revered and hated individual. Christian Pulisic five months ago was nowhere to be found on that platform. And today, with two special moments, the shush in Denver and this, yeah, he's, uh, he's there now. He is, he is the guy, and he's the only guy, right? There is no Mexican counterpart here. I would suggest it should be Chucky Lozano. He's not just maybe the best player for Mexico, but also the most likely yeah. to be that antagonist role. But in these games, Herc, he's really not been that guy. No, I, no, he's not. He's not been that guy. Chucky Lozano, and, and, and I can see why you would say that, because he's had his run-ins everywhere he's been. Whether it's Pachuca, whether it's Holland, whether it's uh, Napoli, he's had those run-ins. But not so much with the national team with rivals. Uh, if I'm going to think of who may be a symbol to that, it's Diego Linus. Mm, Diego Linus mm. is probably the closest thing to a symbol of that protagonist, antagonist that the U.S. men's national team has for a Mexican national team player. All right, let's get back to Pulisic because there is a report out of Spain from Sport that Christian Pulisic is one of three Chelsea players that Barcelona are interested in terms of a loan for later this season. Now, Football America sources in Spain threw some cold water on this, Herc, okay? They said that the only player from Chelsea that Barcelona is truly interested in is Aspilicueta, and that it's not Pulisic because there's not really the money to pull off an operation like this. But Let's allow ourselves to dream a little bit. <laughs> if it could be done, oh, yes, and of course, and Football America Source is also reporting that if anybody from England is going to come over to Barcelona, Sterling. it's going to be Raheem Sterling. Correct. So, so keep an eye on that. If, if the Raheem Sterling move from Man City to Barcelona follows through, maybe, maybe there is a need for Christian Pulisic. Let's say that happens, Herc. Would it be a good move for Christian Pulisic? Is leaving Chelsea and looking for an opportunity elsewhere the right time, okay, let's the right play, moment, let's the right Let's play devil's move. advocate for a second. Mm -hmm. let's, let's assume that Barcelona could, one, get him there because it's $75 million transfer fee. No, no, it'd be a loan. It'd be a loan. No, 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 no. For, for, from Dortmund to Chelsea, he's not a player that's going to come in cheap. Uh, let's just for a second assume because as this outlet said, they need to get very creative uh, in, in the way they creative accounting and deal structuring to get Christian Pulisic there. So that tells you something. But if you can get a player like Christian Pulisic, and let's play devil's advocate for a second, Chelsea have done crazier things. At one point, they had Mohamed Salah, they had Kevin De Bruyne, they had Romelu Lukaku in their fold, in that stable, and they let him go, let him all go. And if they could do with his weekly salary of 150 150,000 pounds a week, which is something like $200,000 a week, if they could do with that and get him there, why wouldn't you bring him there? Mm -hmm. He's a player that when he's healthy, He's proven to be a very effective player at a very elite level. This is a winger that would fit in perfectly with Xavi and Xavi's interpretation of space and movement and that tiki-taka type of football. If you can get a player like Christian Pulisic there, where right now Sergio Des is being utilized, why wouldn't you bring him in there? And a player like Christian Pulisic, who has shown to be very good against very physically capable defenders in the Premier League, you're going to tell me he couldn't be very, very good mm. in not a so physical league like La Liga? I don't believe it. I would take it in a heartbeat. Him, Christian Pulisic, wearing one of the most iconic jerseys in world football? Yeah, I'd take that.
It sounds like you're sold from a Barcelona perspective. Are you sold from a Christian Pulisic perspective? Because he would be leaving the European champions. No, I wouldn't be sold from a Christian Pulisic uh, perspective. Barcelona today. This isn't the Barcelona of yesteryear. No, the Barcelona of what we could potentially get with Xavi in five years' time. You're going to a team that has to be dismantled, started from the bottom. And, and per a lot of different people, and Xavi himself, ground up. La Masia, back to your roots. But uh, playing so, time, Herc, more playing time. Isn't that, isn't that the trade-off? Well, Christian Pulisic gets playing time when he's healthy. When he's healthy, he's fighting. He's thriving. The problem is you need to stay healthy. That's the issue for Christian Pulisic. I have no, I have no doubt Christian Pulisic can step into any team in the world and play. He just needs to be healthy. Okay, we'll see if uh, any more comes from these rumors of uh, Christian Pulisic and a potential move to Barcelona. One more thing from Friday night. You know what it's about. It's mm. about style. The style and the substance of the manager, Greg Berhalter, Ooh. who is known to be a, a, quite a, a shoe, a sneaker aficionado, right? A, a sneaker head. Now, at first, people thought these were what? The, the Jordan 1 Retro Low Dior's. But apparently they're not. They're the Sean Cliver Dunk Low SB Holiday Special, Herc, which, of course, everybody who knows anything about Nikes would have been able to, to pick that out. Uh, what do you think? Dripping or tripping for the Alberto manager? Peralta, sneakerhead extraordinaire, actually pointed out those are not the Dior. And good thing, because those Dior go from like 8000 to 15000 on sale online. I'm glad he wasn't I mean, just... that'd be a pretty sweet flex Ooh. from the manager, right? I, I mean, I remember the Nike. I remember the Nike sponsorship days. No longer. Uh, Wink, wink, Nike. Wink, wink, anybody else. I remember those days. That Those are sweet. Those are definitely dripping. All right. So there we have it. Greg Berhalter with another a great choice in shoe apparel. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Moving on to Canada and Mexico, specifically Edmonton's Commonwealth Stadium, where Mexico will face Canada on Tuesday. Canada third right now in CONCACAF, coming off a 1-0 win against Costa Rica on Friday. Herc, they are the only unbeaten team left in all of CONCACAF, yet to suffer defeat in the qualifying cycle. All that plus Mexico's performance against the U.S. means mounting pressure for Tata Martino. So, uh, just how close are things in CONCACAF, right? Mexico, depending on results, and of course our production team went to worst case scenario here, uh, could find themselves outside of those top three spots the three spots that automatically qualify for the next World Cup. Of course, uh, they could also find themselves first in the table should Correct. they be able to win uh, in Canada. But of course, the big story here, Herc, as you saw from the images there coming in from Edmonton, is the weather. Not only has it been snowing Monday in Edmonton, it's expected to snow on Tuesday. Temperatures a high on Tuesday of 35 degrees Fahrenheit at kickoff. 
18 Ooh. degrees Fahrenheit. You've lived through one of these before. Snow Classico. Does I the did. weather actually impact a game like this? Well, it depends on how bad the weather is, how much snow, because light snow, snowfall, just, just enough. That gets the ground slick, that gets the ball moving, that it increments the speed. That's to the advantage of a team like Canada, who in transition has already proven how fast and how vulnerable Mexico can be. But let's say it starts dumping. Let's say the snow is really coming down. That impedes the velocity of the ball. I remember against Costa Rica, yes, in that Snow Classico game, I was playing on the left-hand side in midfield, and Demarcus Beasley was playing as a left-back right behind me. I remember us having to lift the ball to advance, almost juggling it to advance out of the back to move it forward. So that goes into the favor of a more technical player, of a and not so much in the favor of a team that wants to use their speed. I mean, they want to use the speed of Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, the vision of Estacchio out of the midfield. So if you have to slow it down to move it, that's not in the favor of Canada. That actually might even play into the favor of a more technical team and a slower midfield like Mexico. Hmm. So the idea of 18 degrees temperature at kickoff, like we talked about it before the game in Cincinnati. Would the cold affect the Mexican players? And you know, hey, that, that front six, most of them play in Europe. They're accustomed to cold by now. But you know what, Herc? I don't know if you sense this, but in the second half, Mexico were very, very slow to come out of the locker room. And if you look at how the match unfolded, when did Mexico lose the intensity? It's into the second half, and you felt it in that stadium in Cincinnati. There was a pretty, shift, uh, pretty steep drop in temperature, a pretty significant shift. Right around halftime, it dropped like 10 degrees and it got a lot colder. So I wonder if the cold in Cincinnati didn't play a factor and if psychologically, and you know this has been all over the Mexican press, the snow, everything that's happening. Every time you turn on Spanish language TV, it's a weather report from Edmonton. This is hanging over the Mexican players' heads. Whether it's, it physically impacts you or not, like psychologically, I think it could weigh here for Mexico. It could weigh a lot. You've already mentioned they just lost to the U.S. men's national team, and that was an embarrassment for a lot of people, pundits, fans alike, in Mexico. And I don't think many have high hopes of this game in Canada. By the way, they've only won once in the last, like, 18 years, 1992. 293 was the last time they won a World Cup qualifying in Canada. Juan Carlos Osorio was actually, again, Juan Carlos Osorio, not only the last one to beat the U.S. in the U.S., uh, but the last one to beat Canada in Canada. So, so it is weighing on them. This could be definitely a psychological uh, factor against them. So do you think Mexico is the favorite in this game away to Canada? Wow, Canada to me is just such a good team. They're undefeated here. I, I like what they're doing, but I don't think they're that much of a favorite as people think. I still think Mexico is a top team in this region. And for, the, for those same factors I said, again, it, that it, it's difficult to progress the ball on the field. If Alfonso Davies and his speed and, and Jonathan David and the transition game for, for Canada is affected, I do see Mexico taking advantage. That said, you mentioned the climate, you mentioned the conditions, you mentioned the psychological factor of already playing a team like Canada and playing a team like the U.S. and having them play a specific way and you knowing physically you can't keep up. I don't think, uh, I don't think Mexico's a favorite here. Yeah, Canada's a favorite. So the odds that I'm seeing, right, the odds makers do have Mexico installs as a favorite. I got them at plus 145, Canada plus 195, and the draw at plus 205. So actually, the result that the odds makers see is the most likely uh, is a Mexico win. I guess the question is here, like, what is more important to you when you're trying to decide the favorite, talent or form? Because form is clearly Canada, but talent is still Mexico, right? Is that correct? 
talent is still Mexico across the board in CONCACAF. Form is very indicative of what that talent does uh, with said talent, right? Who you are in the exact moment you're playing. And right now, Mexico, I think you hit it nail on the head with psychological factor. Right now, this is a team with low confidence. Highest talent of them all, maybe not ceiling, but talent level, yes. And a team like Canada, who now is flying high, who's already gone into Mexico, Azteca, and gone into the U.S. and taken points away from both top dogs, yeah, you bet they feel very good about themselves right now. All right, well, when you lose, one thing has to happen for sure. There have to be changes to the lineup. You would assume that Tata Martino is going to make quite a few changes to the lineup that we saw against the United States. So what changes should he make? And that was my homework assignment, right? Pick the changes that we should see uh, to Tata Martino's starting 11 in this game against Canada compared to what we saw against the United States. So I'm making some changes, no surprise. Tecatito, who I didn't want to see start in the game against the United States, but did. I got him out for Orbelin. That was between Orbelin and Piojo Alvarado, but I don't know if you noticed, Herc, Piojo Alvarado was limping around a little bit late in that game yeah. in Cincinnati, so I, I don't know about him. Edson and Nachiacho, you got to go with them in the middle. And then I was between Sebastián Córdoba and Charlie Rodríguez. We saw a little bit of Charlie against the United States. Wasn't that impressed, so I'll go with Sebastián Córdoba. And then I'm, I'm cleaning house at wow. the bank. I mean, you just, look, after the performance from the outside backs, uh, Chaka Rodríguez and... Um, Gallardo. And Gallardo, and Jesús Gallardo against the United States. You have to make changes, and you don't have any choice but to get younger. Jorge Sanchez, Osvaldo Rodriguez will go there uh, at right and left back, respect, respectively. And then I'm keeping Johan Vasquez in there. Nestor Araujo, you know I'm not that comfortable with it, but I'll slide him in because he's the best option left in front of uh, Memo Cho. What do you think of my changes, and where do you think Tata Martino might disagree? I, I think he'll disagree at the back. I think he'll disagree with Osvaldo Rodriguez. We saw it in that Juego Molero in Atlanta against Ecuador. He's a player that he scored a golazo, but he struggled to defend. Mm -hmm. uh, ball watching, and he was at as ball. As bad actually. as Jesus Gallardo struggled to defend? Oh, but Jesus Gallardo has. He was going up against Timothy Weah and a very inspired Timothy Weah uh, for pace where he couldn't keep up. Uh, Gallardo maybe stays with it, but by default, like who else really is there? And then you look at Chaka. I agree with you. Jorge Sanchez may be the, road to, or the route to go, but from what we're hearing from our colleague at ESPN mm -hmm. Deportes, uh, Mauricio Imai, is that Tata Martino seriously considering a line of five. Three center backs, two wing backs, two defensive players protecting right there, Edson Alvarez and somebody else. It could be an HH. And he's really thinking about getting in another nine there or another offensive player. But Tecatito is the guy coming out. So, yes, mm. there's something to be said. I don't mind that great shout on Orbelin Pineda because Orbelin Pineda, if anything, has been consistent when given a start. In eight starts for the Mexican national team this year, he scored four goals, and that's two assists in those eight starts. He's a player that physically can keep up with anybody, anybody, mentally and physically in CONCACAF. And to an extent, I'm not saying he's going to keep it with Alfonso Davies. But this is also a player that brings the magic. El Mago. He's creative, creative enough uh, within tight spaces to create something for himself or others. And he just happens to get things done. In a moment where Tecatito Corona is not being effective, here's a player brimming with confidence that is effective. Real quick. To the idea of playing with a back five, good move for Tata Martino or desperation move? Desperation move because if you didn't have two center backs to begin with, you sure don't have three. Mm -hmm. And this is a desperation move because what he's trying to do is he's trying to combat that speed that they will offer you, verticality, because they're going to run you ragged, try to get in behind you. And what he wants is to eliminate those spaces. But that back three is only as good as the two protecting them and only as good as those two wingbacks 
when they're on the offensive end. So if you want to play the right way in that 3-5-2, if you want to play the correct way, those wingers or outside wingbacks need to push up. And if they push up, you know there's a lot of space to protect them behind. And against Canada, I don't know if that's what you want to do. Okay, Herc, time for our third and final of the L3 questions here on Football Americas. If Mexico lose to Canada, in your opinion, you're the decision maker. Should Tata Martino lose his job? No, listen, I, I told you what was going to happen if you were going to ask for his job. I in no way want Tata Martino to lose his job. These procesos, how they cut procesos and, 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 and the cycles in Mexico are the majority of the problems that they have. Whether it's Liga Mekis or whether it's the Federation, these are the problems they have. Tata Martino is not going anywhere either. Uh, and ahora o nunca, my, my co-host Mauricio Pedrosa, he just told us of the $5 million release clause or what they would have to pay to liberate him from that contract. $5 million mm. in a pandemic, nobody's going to do that. You're not going to get anybody else. The only way this man, the only way he's in trouble or his job is in jeopardy is if the actual qualification to the World Cup is in jeopardy. If they're on the outside looking in, well, Herc, you can best we bet just that'll saw, happen. We just Sad. saw the potential. They what, could be what did you say? beyond the halfway point. What did you they say? could be fourth. They could be behind and the line, win, below the line. And if they win? If they win. If they win, <laughs> we're asking... If they lose, that's the question. Not if they win. If they lose, should he stay? No, Seb, because you know how this works. I mean, it'd have to be something really crazy for Mexico not to go to the World Cup. Listen, you If there's a 3 nothing team, in Canada, you don't think it's beyond the Federation to fire Tata Martino? Oh, nothing is beyond the Federation, Seb. You're asking what I would do. Nothing is beyond the Federation. They've proven it. Seb, today, today, mm. Mexico and the U.S., seven games in, already have more World Cup qualification points than they did in 2014, Mexico, and 2018, United States men's national team. If they lose, is there at least a question about his processes? Like, yes. maybe he doesn't lose yes. his job, but he loses his authority. He loses his autonomy. He is making a lot of big decisions about personnel. He is keeping guys out of the team. Maybe that's affecting the chemistry within the team. No Do you think doubt. there's a place where if they lose against Canada, maybe he doesn't lose his job, but he doesn't have the control that he did before. No doubt, Seb, and I think that should be questioned anyways. Hey, look at the wear and tear he's already caused. It started with Tecatito Corona not wanting to come in, or Sergio Conceizao, the Porto head coach, not wanting him to take a 15-hour flight just so they can look at him. You can't play, but we can look at you. It started there. The Nacho not going to the Gold Cup. He was punished. La Union Chicharito, blacklisted. Artiaga, blacklisted. Carlos Alcedo, blacklisted. Chapo Montes doesn't want to be part of the Mexican national team because of what he experienced with Tata Martino. It's one after the other. That should be questioned, no doubt. Canada and Mexico then set for Edmonton on Tuesday night. One interesting thing about the Mexican national team, there's always another great young hope, just like with the United States. And here's the latest one, Marcelo Flores. Now, if you followed the Mexican youth national team, uh, you've, you've heard of this kid. He's an 18-year-old. He plays for Arsenal's youth teams. Uh, he had a brilliant performance for Mexico in the Under-20 Revelations Cup tournament, which is still going on. He's got three nationalities he can represent, Mexico, Canada, and England. And now, because of this performance, there's a lot of folks in Mexico that want to see him called up to the national team, Herc. Why not? Well, why not? Okay, I'll give you a few reasons why not. Let me play devil's advocate for a second. Why not? He's a U-20 player who's not even played for the U-23s for Arsenal. Uh, he's a player that's more ceiling than actual 
first-team level talent. Uh, he's a very young player with zero experience in top-flight football club or national team. Now, this is a reality. We go to the why. Why is this happening? Why are people clamoring, both fans and pundits alike, clamoring for him to get an opportunity with Tata Martino? Because of the situation with the Mexican national team. If you had a situation like Canada, like the U.S. men's national team, or a Panama where there are young players, young players getting first-team minutes, pushing, pushing for more player playing time, pushing for more call-ups, he wouldn't be an option because he's not pushing for Arsenal first team minutes, first team call-ups. I thought you said, I th wait a sec, I thought practicing at places like Manchester City makes you great. Doesn't practicing at a place like Arsenal You're not practicing you with great? the first team, you're practicing with the reserves. That's first team, Seb. Don't get it confused, don't get it twisted. This is a situation where now you're starting to realize like, hey, Mexico's one of the oldest, not the mm. oldest team in CONCACAF. The, the pillars of your team, Memo Ochoa, 35 years of age, Salavera's 39, Hector Moreno's 34. You're starting to see Andres Guardado's 36. You're starting to see Raul Jimenez, your best player forwards, on the other side of 30. You're starting to think, wait a second, my team's getting old. Where are the younger players yeah. vying for minutes, pushing these guys out? You saw what it did to the U.S. Men's National Team last cycle. Where are these players? And that's why pundits and fans alike are asking for a player of Marcelo, or Marcelo Flores' yeah. caliber. This feels very reactionary, right? If oh, Mexico course. beats the United States on Friday night, I don't think we're having the uh, Marcelo Flores-like uh, love affair that we're having right now. Though he has had a good performance. The, I guess the point is, when is he ready? Is it like one one appearance for Arsenal, then, then we can start talking about him? Yeah, but hold on. Okay. Hold on. You add another layer to this. Listen, he was already quoted. He did an interview for Passion uh, WFM, and he says... I'd like to see Canada's project. Mm. I'd like to come in and then decide. I think that's valid. So it's a dual national. There's a risk of losing him. So uh, one more quick note on, on Flores. He's been called by Canada. He's been called by England. He hasn't accepted those calls. He has stayed with Mexico. But from that point, you could see, all right, maybe this is a kid soon enough. You end up having to call in just because you want to lock him in among all that other competition. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hola, Ricardo. ¿Cómo estás? Ay, eso no, ¿verdad? Más el primero. ¿Quién va a ser el primero? El problema es que no me actualizo en ciertas cosas. No fue mi intención. No tengo ningún problema. A lo mejor las bromas hoy en día ya no son válidas. De verdad. Le pido una disculpa y voy a tener más cuidado y no tengo ningún problema con nada, de veras. So, Eric, there's uh, Tuca Ferretti, the manager of Bravos of Juarez. We talked about this last week. He's now been suspended for three games by Liga Mekis and fine for the anti-gay comments that you heard there in his press conference. You also heard the apology that he gave in an interview with ESPN. Are you cool with the punishment, Herc? Is the punishment for Tuca Ferretti three games and a fine enough? No, I'm not cool with the punishment. I'm also not cool with the apology. Uh, mm. I'm not up with the times. It's not an apology, Seb. Excuse me. Uh, only three games plus a fine. This is an opportunity for FMF that they let slip away. 
they've wasted an opportunity to really show their anti-discriminatory, anti-homophobia, which they've not shown. They've only tried to hide it from the beginning uh, with FIFA, from the beginning with the CONCACAF Federation. I'm also not cool with Alejandra de la Vega and her husband, Paul Foster, whom are also owners of the El Paso locomotive in USL, owners of Juarez FSA, staying quiet. Mm. Not a peep from them. Mm. No internal punishment from Juarez FC. The American ownership here of USL, of El Paso Locomotive, Alejandra de la Vega, Paul Foster, with zero to say on this. That, to me, is more alarming. That, to me, is more disturbing. So just to translate something there in the interview, in his apology, he says, I'll be more careful with my jokes. It really drives home the point. It's, it's a non-apology apology, right? I think, I think we would say, if we were grading this apology, it's a failed apology. It is not adequate from Tuca Ferretti. It really makes you question just how sincere he actually is in the apology if he's forced to be doing it. The league has promised harsher sanctions, Herc, for whatever that's worth, uh, if there is a repeat offense. But that seems to be about all the punishment that there will be for Tuca Ferretti. All right, let's go to Major League Soccer then, Herc, where we mentioned at the top of the show, there is beef brewing in Miami, and it all starts as it always does on social media. Rodolfo Pizarro liked the tweet. Actually, he liked multiple tweets uh, that were negative about his teammate Gonzalo Higuain. Shout out to Franco Panizzo, who covers Inter Miami, does a great job. One of the tweets said Higuain was a negative leader. Pizarro liked it. He also liked another tweet that read, when Higuain plays Miami, play with 10. So, Herc, you've been in a locker room. Give us a little translation. What is going on here at Inter Miami? <laughs> it looks to me like Rodolfo Pizarro is fed up with being the whipping boy. It's evident, and if you've watched Inter-Miami play with these two on the field, it's an evident rift between the two. It's Rodolfo Pizarro advancing the ball, the ball not getting to Higuain. Higuain hands up in the air, evidently upset at Pizarro. It's Pizarro and his disinterest in trying to link up with Higuain. Uh, whatever the case may be of why they're not a good fit on the field, they are not, and they seem not to get along. This is on the outside looking in. But Rodolfo Pizarro was the talk of the town when he went to Inter Miami. This is a guy who came in for lots of money from Monterrey. Lots of money to Major League Soccer. Who was talking about going to bigger and better things in Europe. Well, Higuain comes, and that's all out the window. The problem, Pizarro. The problem now, Pizarro can't get out of the national because of his Inter Miami play. So it looks to me like Rodolfo Pizarro is fed up, and the truth is coming out. He doesn't get yeah. along with Higuain. He doesn't like playing with Higuain, and he thinks Higuain was a big issue to his own performance. Football America sources close to the situation suggest that this is not the first time that Pizarro has either verbally or non-verbally expressed displeasure uh, with Higuain. So it does seem like a fractured locker, the locker room there uh, in Inter-Miami. To your point about Pizarro and MLS, like, clear clear bust, right? It's the only way we can label his time in Major League Soccer, and it really does feel like a move is necessary. I don't think a move to Europe is coming, but at least a move back to Mexico, because if Rodolfo Pizarro's career is ever going to get relaunched, it certainly is not going to be an Inter-Miami. It's doubtful it'll be here in MLS. I have no idea who can afford him. Three mm. point something million dollars a year. There are zero teams who would take that chance in Liga MX. He'd have to take a massive pay cut. And honestly, I don't know how to label this for anybody, Inter-Miami, Rodolfo Pizarro himself, or Major League Soccer, any other way than bus. I'm sure Rodolfo Pizarro would say the same thing about his movement there. Inter-Miami, Rodolfo Pizarro, they don't have to worry about the playoffs. Uh, but there was, Ooh. at least as of this weekend, Herc, 
Still four NWSL teams that were fighting for the title. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's get you caught up on what happened. Semifinal weekend, Washington Spirit and O.L. Reign. Of course, O.L. Reign, the two-seed. The Spirit, the three-seed. And Spirit were in trouble early. Three minutes in, Herc, they were down a goal. Eugenie Lesomer striking to put O.L. Reign up 1-0. This game, by the way, played at Cheney Stadium. It's one of these converted baseball stadiums, Herc. Just not, not a great spot for an NWSL playoff game, it must be said. But the Spirit fought their way back, as they always do. 12th minute, Trinity Rodman, Football America star Trinity Rodman. Uh, with the equalizer there to make it 1-1. And then, Herc, this golazo in the 68th minute. I know you love it from Ashley Sanchez. I, I love it from Ashley Sanchez. I don't know if she meant it. If she meant <laughs> no, it, that is you, ridiculous. That you is really ridiculous. don't think she meant it? Well, it's a ridiculous it. scoop. Like, if she meant this, that is insane. I think she uh, meant to cross it. But if she really meant to scoop the ball over the goalkeeper from, like, five yards out, that is an insane finish. A hundred percent, Herc. She meant to do it. It better be. It better be in the top ten, which I'm told is a, an epic uh, top ten. <laughs> there so what a season it has been for the Washington Spirit right uh, 10 straight wins on the field you can mix in a couple of forfeits due to COVID-19 protocols in there but it's been a, a long time since they lost since that they haven't lost on the field since the dismissal of their coach Richie Burke who was alleged to have verbally abused and harassed uh, his players so uh, a great turnaround there for the Washington Spirit what about the other uh, semifinal then her Chicago and the Portland Thorns. Of course, the Thorns, the number one seed. They won the Shield in the regular season, but this, another upset. Chicago getting the job done. Now, Portland were shorthanded. No, no Lindsey Horan, no Crystal Dunn. Of course, she just announced her pregnancy. But Chicago got goals from Katie Johnson, who represents the Mexican national team, and Sarah Waldmo. And that was good enough for Chicago to pull off the big upset. That's the Chicago Red Stars team that didn't have Mallory Pugh. She was out due to COVID protocols. Kalia Watt got hurt early as well. So Chicago really shorthanded, but a big performance from their goalie. Uh, Cassie Miller had six saves. And how about that? Chicago pulls the upset and ends the Mark Parsons era in Portland. A great performance hurt from Chicago. Insane performance. I, I feel bad for Portland. You have to think that long layoff may have had something to mm. do with this. Not in the cards for them, but unbelievable from the Red Stars. So the Red Stars capping off a great season themselves. Chicago and Washington both looking for their first ever NWSL titles. They're going to meet next weekend. This weekend, 
uh, in Louisville for the championship. Let's go back to the Washington Spirit for a second, Herc. Are they the team of destiny in this NWSL postseason? You, <laughs> you want to write up a Hollywood script? This is it. I mean, you said it was 10 unbeaten to get to mm -hmm. this game, to get to the final. Uh, it's Richie Burke being let go. Allegations of player abuse on the team. A very young team. If I read that correctly, the youngest team uh, that, that played in the NWSL this season. I think Ashley Hatch had 14 goals off of 10 shots. You know how that insane that strike rate is for, for a player to see this happen and the players themselves want to force a sell of an owner Steve Baldwin they revolt we're not playing we want to change he needs to sell to go on that type of run with this team a bad news bears type of team a major league if you will movie type of scenario and to play this way, and if I'm reading correctly, I went down the names of the midfield on. Mm. The names like Ashley Hatch, the names like Sanchez, Andy Sullivan, uh, Trinity Rodman. There are combined four national team caps amongst all of those mm. between two players. That is insane. Yeah, I mean, Emily Sonic, Kelly O'Hara, those are kind of the, 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 the national team veterans, but they don't have the, the superstars that some of the other teams in the NWSL seem to have. Uh, Tori Huster is a huge part of this team. She got injured in the playoffs. They still managed to win the semifinal without her, so it does feel a little bit like, the, there you see it there on the screen, the, the team of destiny. The ownership situation, Herc, is is very interesting because it's not like it was an ownership battle that didn't affect the players or that the players weren't involved in. They were actively, as you say, calling for Steve Baldwin to sell the team. So clearly what was happening at an ownership level was impacting these players throughout the season enough that they felt like they had to speak up about it. So think about all that they've overcome just to get to this final. Um, look, I think it's going to be a great final, but I think if we're going to pick a, a so-called team of destiny, you got to think, right, that it is it is the Washington spirit. Sebi, the craziest thing is why they're trying to take the team away from Steve Baldwin. They've made the franchise more valuable. Hmm. Mm. That is insane to me. They may make this guy even more money. So we'll see where the uh, Washington spirit ownership saga ends up. But there was some uh, big news last week in the NWSL with San Diego. A town I know close to your heart. San Diego Wave Football Club has been announced, the uh, latest addition to the National Women's Soccer League. Of course, San Diego's president, none other than Jill Ellis, the two-time World Cup winning manager with the U.S. Women's National Team. Unfortunately enough for us here at Football Americas, last week we got to sit down with Jill and talk about San Diego Wave Football Club and their future in the NWSL. Jill Ellis joins us next here on Football Americas, two-time World Cup winner as the manager of the U.S. Women's National Team, and now with San Diego's new squad in the NWSL, which has a name, Wave Football Club. Jill, uh, describe for me kind of the process of coming to a name, because really, when you're launching a club, it's almost the most important thing you can do, right? Well, it is. I, I certainly, you know, I think the cresting colors are also a big part of that. But yeah, I mean, especially, you know, I grew up in a place where you're either United or City, you know, it was kind of that, that, uh, not that creative in terms of that. So yeah, it was, um, you know, it was really interesting. I mean, part of it was uh, obviously hiring, you know, smart people. So we hired, uh, you know, a director of brand and, and content and we, we did focus groups and, you know, she sort of went out and, and talked to the community. And, you know, I think we had sort of some ideas of names, but ultimately I think it started with saying to people, what resonates with you about San Diego? You know, so what, what's, what's it feel like? What, what words come to mind? And over and over again, and it was 
the ocean, you know, coastal city, the waves, the the beautiful uh, coastline, and and that just kind of kept resonating. And so I think you know, as we went through this process, you know, talking to soccer groups, um, community leaders, it, it became very clear that this was the favorite. Um, listen, I know names are names, and uh, ultimately it's kind of what we do with that. But uh, we love it. I mean, I love the wave because it's just this sense of strength, and and you know, just again mm. in soccer terms, we use that that word over and over again, right? Pressures, waves of pressure, etc. I'm thinking rivalries and, you know, since the NWSL launched, there's kind of been this push, this, hey, you, you, we got to get teams out west. You got Angel City coming in, you guys um, right behind. Is that a natural kind of rivalry that we should expect? For sure. And, I, you know, I think it's I, like rivalries make sport. You know, I mean, Man United, Man City, you know, Man United fan. I just, you know, that's kind of at the at the core of sport, I think, is the rivalry. So, you know, when we were initially looking here, I, I was People are like, oh, are you worried about Angel City? And I'm like, this is awesome. It's great for both clubs. It's great for the sport, um, you know, because we get to promote that and we get this natural rivalry, you know, down, just uh, up the interstate, so to speak. And I think, you know, where we are in the league, there's there's still a lot of space. I mean, you've got Seattle and Portland, but but still different states. So I think that um, this is going to be one of the epic rivalries and it's going to be fantastic. So where are you in terms of building this club? You know, on your timeline, you are a year behind Angel City FC. We've seen them go out and and make their first big signing in, in Kristen Press. How close are you guys to kind of some of those big personnel decisions? Well, that's, you know, that's what we've actively been doing is, is working. I mean, there's obviously as the, as the president, you're, you're looking at the business arm in terms of ticketing and merchandise and, but very much uh, the very start uh, of this, of this club, you know, I made it uh, about football. It was, you know, signing our head coach and our general manager, you know, two people that can be integral in terms of building out the roster. So yes, Casey and, and Molly have spent a lot of time, you know, looking obviously at players, talking to agents, obviously we've got the draft coming up. So I think you know, we will we will very quickly kind of be at the point where we have uh, players to announce. Uh, it certainly is a process, but we've had a lot of great response. We've had a lot of you know, a, lot of, a lot of interest. Um, you know, it's a beautiful place to live, and I think we've got uh, you know a world class coach. Uh, so I think we, we're going to have a lot of interest in that. But yeah, that's going to be the fun part, right? Signing the players. So in terms of timeline, I think early December we'll we'll do our cresting colors and then start to announce players um, and get ready for preseason next uh, next end of, end of January next year it's right around the corner so you've managed the u.s women's national team i'm sure when you had that job you felt like you were probably wearing a lot of hats is it that different yeah. being the president of club and maybe what are some of the the differences in the two roles yeah be very candid i literally said to <laughs> i said to someone the other day i'm like man being a president's a lot um yeah it's it's different <laughs> because it's um you know, you've got you go to two two World Cups, but this is like this is a lot, you know, in terms of just getting this thing off and off and running. And but it, you know, fundamentally, it's the same. You know, you're you're looking to hire amazing people, um, empower them, shine a light on them, and and build a great culture. I mean, I think team building is, you know, is fundamental to that. I think you'd ask any uh, CEO. But certainly, you know, it's it's different because I'm hiring, you know, I'm hiring chief revenue officer, I'm hiring a director of merchandising and branding, and and when you're not an expert in that realm. Uh, then it kind of is really important that you, you know, do your homework, you learn. I mean, this is one thing that's been really cool is I am just, you know, talk about drinking from the fire hose. I'm learning so much. Uh, it truly is, you know, been uh, been a great process for me. Uh, yeah, a little, a lot of times, but, um, I, you know, I think ultimately I'm just, I'm able to bring good people to the table. And, and I think we, you know, everything runs based on the, the you know, the, the assets that you have and our, and our people and our players will be our, our finest assets. You're a part of the, 
NWSL now. You've obviously been around the league for a long time in your in your work with the U.S. Women's National Team. I wonder what you felt in the last couple months because we've seen you know repeated allegations of abuse against coaches in the league. We've seen the players kind of take a really harsh stand against the league. Just as somebody who's who's been around this relationship for a while, what's your reaction to all that we've seen in the last couple months? Yeah, I mean, I think like anybody, you know, it was it was hard. I mean, the, you know, the the initial response is shock and and kind of disgust. You know, I think I've I've said that. Um, you know, I think, you know, as it unfolded, you know, I think the the, the comment that stuck with me um, was actually Sinead Farrelly when she came out and she said, you know, I want there to be a a purpose for this pain. You know, it's incredibly brave of her to come forward and, and share her story. And that's what's kind of sat with me is what what do we do next? You know, how do we honor what she has has endured, what they have endured? And how do we, um, you know, how do we be better? How do we improve? How do we raise standards? And so am I optimistic? Yes. Is it unfortunate? For sure that this had to happen. I think it was incredibly tragic, but it just reinforces, you know, how much we have to put our players front and center, how much we have to focus on, you know, creating a safe environment uh, for our players and how much having standards in place uh, is critical for that to, to sort of all fall into place. Um, you know, you've sort of seen it in, in gymnastics, you've seen it in other sports. And so for it to come front and center in our sport, um, you know, no matter how much you, you read about other things, I think it was hard, you know, to, to manage. But but now it's it's certainly about, you know, how do we adjust and change this? How do we how do we prevent this? You know, if you look throughout the women's game and obviously it, it comes to the forefront of your mind when you look at the allegations, you, you just do see a, a preponderance of men in the coaching positions. Um, I know it's not maybe the, the solution kind of in a blanket sense, but how important do you think it is for there to be more opportunities uh, for women to coach at, at higher and higher levels, even at the professional ranks. Like, I think uh, we were watching the Champions League last year, and it was like the first time there'd be in, in the Women's Champions League a woman head coach in over a decade. I mean, that 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 was shocking to me. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's a great question. I mean, it's partly with, with U.S. Soccer. I partner with them in terms of this, uh, you know, this mentoring program and providing scholarship for uh, for coaching, uh, you know, candidates to try and, you know, look at ways that how can you encourage and how can you generate support for more women in coaching? I think that's first and foremost. Um, but then, yes, I mean, I think sometimes it's, you know, it's easy when there's a lot of candidates and, you know, women are in the minority in terms of the coaching ranks. But, you know, as I said to as I said to one uh, one member within the community within the end of Russell, you know, if you're prepared to to look and you're prepared to, uh, you know, create a good salary opportunity, there are phenomenal candidates out there that are female. Um, so, I, you know, I don't see an excuse anymore as saying oh, there, there aren't any or there's none out there. There's a lot of phenomenally uh, talented female coaches out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, part of why I stepped into this role was uh, was just the opportunity to to kind of now look at a, a position and how do you how do you have that ripple effect like i'm i'm like anyone i've i've heard you know ceos and you get into the front office and you get into boards that's where the decisions are made and so when this presented itself to me it was like okay i can now be in a position to to hire a general manager to hire a female chief revenue officer and head coach um and so that's been part of this you know is is how do we create opportunities and how do we grow that landscape for females to because you know we hear the classics are saying you know if you see it you can be it and then there has to be people in those positions yeah. more and more jill ellis president of san diego way football club thanks so much for being with us here on football americas and i hope we can have you back on the show soon thanks evie take care 
And it is the loneliest number. This is a segment where we love to pick on some goalies. Let's start in Liga Mekis. Femenil Guadalupe oh, no. Olvera oh, of Necaxa. No. Guadalupe. You had it. It was yours. And you let it slip away. It happens. It does happen. It does happen. Uh, Bravo Juarez there uh, benefiting there. Kimberly Goita with the, the goal taking advantage of the mistake. Oh, look, I, a, a bad weekend then for Mexican goalies in general. Oh, this is from no. Liga Expansión. When playing out of the back goes bad. Oh, no. Ooh, deje. Nice uniforms. That's about it these days. What are you doing, goalkeeper? Felipe Lopez, oh. the guilty party there for UDG and the Liga de Expansión. All right, one more thing before we get out of here, Herc. Time for a parting shot, the World Cup. Just about 13 months away in Qatar, and we're starting to know who is going to be present. The list of countries growing almost daily here is Croatia, Spain, Serbia, England, Switzerland, all joining the list along with the hosts. Qatar. The biggest news the last couple days is who's not going at least directly. Italy and Portugal are going to have to try their luck in the playoff. Yeah, I feel bad for Portugal. That's Serbia. Non-call was insane, but hey, them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. Still Mexico, USA, and Canada for you? Yeah. 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 It, yeah. The order is still the same. I still have Mexico 1, US 2, Canada 3. Though Canada is really freaking me out the way they're playing. John Herdman, he's on to something. Yeah, uh, we ask if uh, the USA or if Mexico are the gigantes of CONCACAF. It's not far, Herc, before we got to start including Canada uh, in that very oh, conversation. Sad. All right. Hey, they're the only undefeated team in the octagonal. For what it's worth. For what it's worth. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will see you back here on Thursday there with you go, Sebi. full Soak it in. reaction Soak it in, to the Seb. games on Tuesday. The United States away in Kingston against Jamaica. Meanwhile, Mexico up north in the cold. Edmonton against Canada. Enjoy.